Amen. So, um, for the first message of the new year, many pastors are going to talk about New Year's resolutions and starting anew and, or finances or cash church vision goals. Not this guy. Uh, we're going to continue through Proverbs. And providentially, we are in chapter 5. And we're not just going to spend one week in chapter 5. We're going to spend three weeks in chapter 5. So, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs... Um, there is this competing tension between the lady wisdom and lady folly. And lady folly is a sexual temptress. And so we're going to be dealing with sexual ethics for the next three weeks. Uh, it is fitting. Uh, every year it seems like the world wants to talk more and preach to us more about their sexual ethics. But I think the church has been too silent for far too long. So this is what we're going to be dealing with. So parents, just full disclosure, um, we are going to be dealing directly with what's in the text. Uh, We're not going to get into anything biological or or graphic or or inappropriate. Um, But this is there for a reason. This is there as a pattern to us, lessons for us. Um, And so I think what's happened in the past is the church has failed to provide good answers the church has, has failed to promote a biblical worldview on what sex is, God's design for it, and how it's distorted from the fall. Because the world has plenty of answers. The world has a sexual worldview. The world tells us many things about sex, and I think the church has been afraid or ill-equipped to address it. And so I don't know if you're like me, but if you grew up in the church, previously it was, don't do it until you get married, and that was it. That was pretty much all of of what we heard. There was also this kind of silent agreement between the the, the generations. The older generation would assume, you don't do it, so we don't have to talk about it. Deal? Anyone else? Was this their their church experience? Yeah, yeah, a couple hands. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so that's kind of the easy thing to do. If If we just ignore it, sin will just go away, right? We know that that's, that doesn't happen. Temptation doesn't just disappear. Sin doesn't just go away. The, the distortion of the fall must be addressed. And the Bible has plenty to say about it. Um, and so we need to be honest about our temptations, but also our sinful nature. God has wired within us sexual desires, which are, are real and are good things in its, in its intended place. But like everything else, it was corrupted by the fall. And so uh, the church needs to be able to address that. And so we, we will. So there are uh, three messages. Today's um, is kind of the, the introduction of this entire poem. So seduction's destruction. Next week, we're going to deal with more of the negative side, the, the, the path to peril, verses 7 through 14. And then the third week, the good stuff, the path to pleasure, um, 15 to 23. Parents, the, the next couple weeks are not going to be um, too descriptive. Week three will probably more, be more descriptive because Solomon is, and so we're going to deal with what he says in the text. Uh, but one thing I want you to notice about all three of these sections is they begin with commands. They begin with expectations. This is not just ideas that are out here in left field. This is wisdom that is to be applied. This is application for the hearer, um, specifically for young men. We'll get there in a moment. But there's also a flow here. The introduction starts us out by discouraging promiscuity, building up to uh, the encouragement of monogamy. 
And so there's going to be this, this discouragement of adultery and, and, and promiscuity and, and um, this kind of pervasive filling your desires in every direction leading up toward the pinnacle of what God has designed, the beauty of sex within marriage. So um, that's what we're, we're dealing with. And so we're going to be walking this path of the, 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 the proverb, but it's good to know where it, where it leads. We start out here, but um, that's where we're going to end in a couple weeks. So in your Bibles, we're in Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander and she does not know it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless the reading and preaching of your word this morning. That the wisdom you have set out for us in the ages, you knew before the foundation of the world that we would sin, that we would choose our own desires over you. But you also knew we could not redeem ourselves and we were destined to death without your son. So Lord, I pray that this side of the cross, we will hold on to biblical wisdom. We will walk in righteousness of life. Christ will be exalted and exemplified in our lives. That we as the church would be able to be confident in all things. That we'd be able to proclaim what the scriptures proclaim. And we will be able to call what is good, good, and what is evil, evil. And that we may be ambassadors and witnesses for your kingdom and your glory in a lost and dying world that is begging for truth and begging for answers. May we not be cowards and shrink back. May we be confident and bold. May we speak truth in love. May we be sober-minded and sober in our speech. May we not fall into the, the crassness and the vulgarity of the world, but that our speech would be seasoned with salt. That the world would be preserved through the proclamation of the gospel. That the lost would come home. That the dead would rise. That new life would be breathed into dead bones through the work of your spirit. And none of this will be possible if your spirit had not inspired this word and does not work through mine, through the hearts and minds here, a spiritual conversation to those who are spiritual. And if there is any here this morning who are following after the spirits of this world, who are seeking to indulge their own flesh, trying to find fulfillment in anything but you, may you make them miserable. May you break their heart. May they cry out to you in repentance because they see their end is like the woman in this poem. It is death. But we praise you that because of Christ's death, because he has gone before us, we have life and we can walk in newness of life. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so verses 1 and 2 are the introduction to this entire poem and the big idea that's going to be expanded throughout. 
Uh, this is a similar call. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Don't just let this go in one ear and out the other. Listen. Pay attention. This is important. In this repetition of, uh, of these, these synonyms, wisdom, understanding, discretion, knowledge, these are not just theoretical ideas out in left field somewhere. These are helpful bits of information that are to be applied. It's not just, it's not just general facts. It is wisdom that, that applies, that is to be applied with the end in mind. We don't want you, we as your parents, don't want you to be confused. We don't want you to be ignorant of the end. We don't want you to be caught unawares. We don't want you to be brought in with the way the rest of the world is and falling on your face and stumbling. We want you to walk the clear path. And so, um, fathers, take note. This is a good way to have the talk with your sons especially because the simple message of Here's how it works. Don't do it in, in, until you're married. Satisfies no teenage boy. But the world, they've got lots of satisfactory answers. We need to explain to our, our children, this is where it will lead. If you go down this, this, this path, if you give into this temptation, here are the consequences. And if you live according to this, there is death at the end. And so that's why there is the, the longest section here is next week, is all the negative consequences. If you go into this adulterous woman, here's all the things that, that, that will happen. And it's just scratching the surface. So we need to be honest. We need to hold up God's good example, but also be able to call out the, the falsehoods and be soberingly honest. If you don't listen to me, there is a lot of pain ahead. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of loneliness and emptiness and darkness if you give into this. And that is a good and loving conversation. And we need to be able to have more direct conversations like this in a church. And we need to, we should know the high theological things, the gospel and the nature of Christ and the inspiration of, of scripture and all these high theological things that are great, but we also need to have practical answers. We need to have a biblical worldview that informs and is able to respond to all of the information that is out there in the world. Because if you live in the same world I do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, someone is trying to get you excited about sex. Am I wrong? How excited are we about God's good design? How evangel are we as evangelistic about the good news, about how God has designed men and women, how we're created in his image, as the world is about the so-called good news that if you fulfill your desires, all your dreams will come true. Any of us who have tried to fulfill our desires know that that's a lie. But we keep believing the lie. And if the lie is the one that speaks the loudest and speaks the most often, it's typically going to be the one that is to believe, be believed. And so that's why we're spending three weeks here. All right, so verse 2. He says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ears to my understanding, that, that gives us purpose, that you may keep direction, hold on to, obey, or excuse me, direction, discretion. Here's the purpose. Don't take this lightly. 
Discretion is being able to walk in wisdom and know where to apply wisdom, where to walk out for, watch out for the pitfalls. As you're going down this, this, this path, even on the path of life, there are going to be roots, there are going to be holes, there are going to be pitfalls, and discretion tells you to watch out for them and, and to be careful where you, where you step. These, these, these sexual ethics, this kind of code of conduct is, is to be kept with you. It's to be observed. It's to bring with you throughout life because it will save you a lot of heartache. And remember, this is David speaking to Solomon. If anyone knows about sexual heartache, it is David. If anyone knows about not listening to wise counsel and following the desires of his flesh and falling flat on his face and his son dies... Because of the consequence, it is King David. And if anyone needs to hear it, if you know how Solomon grows up, it is King Solomon. Because everywhere he falls, it's because of women. It's because of marrying women from other cultures, going after other gods. And the nation is split and ripped from his hands because of it. So if that's what happens to David, the man after God's own heart, and Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, what do you think happens for us? That's why this is important. And so it, it starts with this strange phrase, and your lips may guard knowledge. Now there's a lot of imagery here. For, uh, this is the first one, and it's, and it's connected with the next verse, and there's a, there's a contrast here. So this is more figurative than it is literal. It doesn't have to do with your actual lips. But it has to do with your speech. Remember what we talked about the last couple weeks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what comes out of your lips is a good indication of what's in your heart. How you speak about things and how other people you interact with speak about things is going is to determine a lot of how you think about something. If everyone around you speaks a certain way, speaks about these things in a certain way, and if you join in with them, your actions are going to follow. And so this is, the discretion is in the mind and the heart. And in the, the, the speech is in the lips. And so the, the father is trying to correct the entire man here. Because what is inside will eventually come out. You can only suppress it for so long. And so if your heart and mind are thinking something, it's going to come out of your lips. And so that's something we need to be very careful of. How do we speak about things like sex? Do we join in the jokes of the world? Or maybe hidden closer to home, do we watch movies and listen to music that think lightly about these things? Are we around people who obscene talk comes from their mouth? And we kind of laugh or don't say anything or continue on in the conversation. If someone didn't know that you were sitting in the pew this morning and they came across you throughout the week, would they know that you were a Christian by your speech? Do the things that come out of your mouth commend eternal things? Or do the things that come out of your mouth sound like everyone else around you? That's why the Father speaks to the tongue, the lips here, because that is how most people are going to view you. All right. So here's the connection in verse 3. For 
the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. So let's break this down a little bit. This word forbidden, it means strange or, or, or foreign, meaning she's strange to you, i.e. she doesn't belong to you. She's not your wife. She's either someone else's wife or one day she will be. She's strange to you, but there's something that is more enticing than someone who doesn't belong to you. There's something more enticing about the grass being greener, the, the, the unknown that's over there. And this doesn't, he doesn't have a certain woman in mind here. This is a caricature of temptation. For a young man, every temptation looks like a woman, or maybe is a woman. And so this is what the, the, the father's doing here. And what's out there is, if you look to that woman, just like if you covet that woman or you covet your, your neighbor's goods, you make an idol out of her. You begin to fixate on, on, on her. And so be careful because her lips, they drip honey. And so here's the, the contrast here. The words of the parents over and over again, son, get, get wisdom, heed instruction. If you've been here the past however many weeks we've been going through Proverbs, it seems a bit like a broken record. Like any good parent, they tell you the same thing over and over again, whether you want to hear it or not. And so the parent's like, don't do this, don't do that. Here's what's good. Here's what honors the Lord. But the forbidden woman, she offers something different. She offers something sweet, something tempting. She offers this, this, this sultry message of, I know what your parents told you. I know that, that you know the straight and narrow path, but there's fun over here in the darkness. And her words go down easy because this is what young men want to hear. We want a woman to speak sweet words to us. And this is a decision every young person has to make, especially when you're young. Who will I listen to? Whose counsel will I take? Whose lips will speak into my ears? And it doesn't just stop at teenagers. Every adult, who are we going to listen to? But especially adolescents who are so impressionable when you're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a girl? What is, and, and the world tells you all kinds of craziness. Who will you listen to? This is what the father's saying. Listen to me. Trust me. They're going to tell you some sweet things, but they're not. And we'll get there in just a moment. But I remember this. Growing up in the church, the, the, the church seemed cold, and the church seemed harsh. The church was, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But the words of the world were sweet. It sounded good. It wasn't speaking to my spiritual ears, but it was speaking to my flesh. The, 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 the call of, if you do this, it will feel good. Come on, everyone's doing it. I could be stiff and cold and lifeless in church, or I could be having fun in the world. These were the options that I thought were in front of me. And so I did what every sinful young boy does and listens to the voice that is most appealing to me. It didn't turn out well. It didn't give me no life-gaining energy or, 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 or wisdom but it was, it was fun for a time, like this, this woman. We'll get there in just a moment. But her lips drip honey. This is, um, this is a, a picture, because before there was, a, there, there was sugar or high fructose corn syrup, honey was it. 
you know, like, like, you know, honey was, was your, your, your Halloween candy, or maybe you had dates, but honey's much better. Um, and, but this is, this is everything that is, that is sweet and delicious and delectable, and this is marketing today. I know how many of you um, like funk music, but I do. Um, the Ohio Players album, they had a song called Honey. This is the album cover. It's a naked woman drip, dripping herself in honey. This is 1975. And if you look at um, makeup advertisement, so many different advertisements where women's lips are, 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 are uh, wet and they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're dripping. Like this imagery is nothing new. They're using the same tools a forbidden woman of Proverbs was using today. And it's still drawing women in, look like this, talk like this, get men to notice you. And it's drawing men in because we're pretty easy. And so these charming, pleasing words draw this, this young man in. And the, the synonym of her speech is smoother than oil. Smoother than oil. In those days, there was nothing smoother than refined olive oil. This was their, their, their lotion. This is what, this is what dry or, or, um, cured dried skin. This is what you put on, on, on your head to be, to be soothed. When you put olive oil in, your, in between your hands, it is so smooth. Her words are smoother than that. And what that means is they're smooth. They are, they, they are flattering. They are enticing. They are manipulating. She knows just what to tell you. Because temptation tells you exactly what you want to hear. And temptation flows in your ear very smoothly. Just olive oil, just kind of running through your, 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 ear, your ear canals and, and hits right where you want it to. This is what she's, she's doing. Everything in your flesh is crying out for this. There is nothing sweeter than honey in their day, nothing smoother than olive oil. These, these two kind of sensual images, and she's got it all. And on the surface, this is very appealing. But there is an iceberg of destruction underneath. Many of you know this analogy when you look at an iceberg or, or the ice in your glass. There is only a little corner of the ice cube that, that, that peaks above the liquid. But most of it's underneath. This is appealing on the surface, but there's so much more underneath it. And this is what popular culture believes and promotes. Sex is sweet. Everybody's doing it. The more, the better. And this is aimed at young men, just like this, this proverb is, because we don't need much encouragement. But this is also aimed at young women. That your beauty is your identity. Use it. Flaunt it. Take it and get what you want out of it. Make it your identity. Why? Because the warning all throughout the book of Proverbs is that the wicked want you to join them. Misery loves company. Come on, come over here. We've got drunkenness and sex and greed and murder, all the stuff that your flesh wants. Join us. And the father is trying to warn the son. They're not going to sit by passively, and I want to warn you, the world is not going to be content being passive if you don't choose them. They're going to keep knocking on your door and confronting you to your face with smooth, sweet, and sometimes abrasive challenges until you bend to them. And the temptation is no different for them in Solomon's day as it is in ours. But what's worse in our day, 
I think, is that this has become our primary means of identity and value. That in our culture, sexual fulfillment is fulfillment. That who you identify with and how you express yourself in a physical and superficial and external way is the highest pinnacle of who you can be as, as a human. That's why it is guarded so closely in our public sphere. That's why it is promoted so intensely. Because this is the religion of our age, the God of our age. And if as the church we stick our head between our legs and think that it will just go away, it's only going to get louder and it's going to get worse. And we have to be able to spot what is sweet but ultimately will turn into what is bitter. And I talk to so many parents and so many people who wonder, why is my child confused? Why are, are, are they going over here? Why are they going to what is unnatural? Why are they doing all of these things? Why are they crying out for attention? Because the world has a better PR campaign than the church. The church is known for what we are not for. We are known for what we don't do. Yeah. But we need to be able to have real conversations and we need to be able to celebrate the good things that, that God has created. But I also think that parents are intimidated. They don't want to confront their, their, their children. And the church is ill-equipped. The church thinks if we could get in this room and get in our little safety bubble, we don't have to deal with any of this stuff out there. There is a lot of truth to finding safety among believers. But don't think that one or two hours a week, and that is the extent of our engagement in these things is going to prepare you for the onslaught that we have throughout the week. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, I want you to look at Romans 1. Uh, it should be obvious that we would go to a text like Romans 1. So we ask, this kind of unbridled, celebrated sexual promiscuity, why is it the way it is? This is the outpouring of adultery. This is Romans 1, 24 and 25. And this is God giving them up. Here's what happens when God removes his, his, his common grace from them. He gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. It's already there. He doesn't need to help them. It is by our nature. In Adam, our, our core response, our initial response is always me, my flesh, my lust, what brings pleasure to me. So in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because this all goes back to idolatry. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. This sexual perversion, this is idolatry. This is saying, God, I want what you've created. That, is, that will bring more to me than you. I love your creation more than I love you. I will worship an idea in my mind, this, this, this fulfillment of, of my desires, instead of the creator who is blessed forever. And so we need to recognize that this is idolatry. And when the world holds this up, this is something that it wants you to worship. The word worship just means to hold something of high worth, to, to, to lift it up. The world wants to lift this up. And we should too where it belongs. It is a good thing that we should hold highly within marriage. 
And it's easy for us to get swept up in what the world celebrates. But we should be prepared. Because the Bible has a lot of good things to say about sex. I mean, God gave it to us. It's a good gift. It is the, the height of in- intimacy between man and woman, between husband and wife. It is the union of the two becoming flesh. It is the beautiful picture that points to Christ in the church. It is meant so that we can fulfill this creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Do it, enjoy it. For my glory, for your goodness. We should be able to say these things and say them confidently. There'll be more on this in the, in the uh, third week when we talk about the beauty of it. So this is mainly directed at young men, but the good thing also is that women, weaker vessel, as we've talked about often, does not mean lesser. But in your, your vessel, you have great power. A woman can be sweet encouragement to her husband, can be smooth words that will, that, that, that will comfort him and, and, and console him when the world is, is beating him up. Or you can have men eating out of the palm of your hand. And this is what the world is, is projecting. The sweetness and the smoothness of sex is a great thing in its, in its proper place. But coming from the forbidden woman, it's the path to death. Let's, let's move on. Oh, so we talked about the, the iceberg a moment ago. But what's underneath the iceberg? So here's on the surface all this appeal that appeals to our flesh, but the bulk of it is underwater. What's underwater is it, it creates an appetite that you can't quench. It creates a habit and an, and an addiction. And like any other addiction, just one more hit. Just one more. And then I'll feel good. And then I'll be fine. This will be my last time, I promise. But it can never deliver on its promises. It can never make you feel loved. It can never make you feel whole. It will never fulfill you. Never. This is what all of popular entertainment is doing today. We had this conversation many times, but have you thought about, if you listen to secular music, how long can you go without hearing either a direct or an indirect mention about sex? How long can you go in a TV show or a movie without some kind of extramarital affair or some kind of vulgar comment? It is extremely hard to find entertainment. And we don't, even, we don't think about it most of the time. Many of you, throughout the week, you, you have worldly music playing in the background and you don't realize you are inclining your ear to it. And whether you know it or not, it is conditioning you. It is desensitizing you. Many of you have heard me say this, but before Christ, I was in the world as a DJ. And when you're in these, these clubs and playing club music, 99% of what you play has to do with sex. There's also money and fame and all that other stuff, but everything has this, this, this um, undertone if it's not overt. And I remember when the Lord opened my eyes, brought me to my, my knees, and I tried to DJ for a little while. I remember one of my gigs afterward, and I'm watching all these people dance, and I'm playing these songs, and I heard the music for the first time. And I'm like, what am I doing? What am I playing? 
For the first time in my life, I saw women as someone's daughter. I heard songs that promote things that I wouldn't speak now in a room where no one is. Yet they were shouting as loud as the speakers could go. What is this? What am I listening to? What am I playing? And I realized how much it had rotted away my mind and my heart and my affections. But how conditioned are we to just listen to that stuff? And it does not matter the genre. They've been having birds and bees analogies since the songs in the 40s and 50s. Now it's just celebrated and and, and paraded around. But take an account this week. Listen to your favorite genre of music and tell me, I dare you to get past two songs before there is some kind of reference to adultery or sex or lust or something. And this is the smooth language of, that's underneath the iceberg, that's just slowly drifting us away. And don't think if you don't incline your ears to it that it won't influence you. Because honey is sweet. Here's the, the first part of this. But, verse 4, but in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. Honey is sweet, but if you rob somebody else's honeycomb, the bees will sting. And it's typically not long after you lick your fingers till you realize, oh, this was not a good idea. And in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. Because here's the contrast. The flesh wants you to think about now. The flesh wants you to say, do this now. Don't worry about the end. Don't worry about the future. Wisdom says, before you do this, consider the end. Before you get on this path, consider where, it, it, where the result is. The father here in talking to the son is forcing us to consider the consequences. Know that it's going to be sweet and smooth for a moment. I understand that. But it's going to be bitter. It's going to leave an aftertaste that lingers and that, and that doesn't deliver. And it's going to be as bitter as wormwood. We're not familiar with, with, with wormwood, but, in, but wormwood is um, an herb that has some medicinal purposes, but it, w- it would often be used um, to get people intoxicated. It would al- often be used at, at parties um, to, in, in those days, to in- encourage um, sexual ex- expression, sexual desire. This is why C.S. Lewis, in Screwtape Letters, um, names his, his, his demon tempter apprentice, Wormwood. Because he's got something that, that, that sounds sweet, but it always ends up bitter. He wants you to follow after your own desires, but it leaves this bad taste in your mouth that you cannot, you cannot get out. She's sweet, but she's not sweet for long. She doesn't stay sweet. She never delivers. She always feels you more bitter and dark and worse. But let's not just stop at the act. Because I think the Father has in mind here, not just if you go into this forbidden woman in the biblical sense, but if you've ever been down the pornography rabbit trail, the rabbit hole better, um, it always starts with a call of sweetness and, 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 and smoothness. Just one more click, just one more step. Come into me, but it never delivers. It always leaves you feeling more bitter and more, and more dark and more lonely afterward. But I've got to go back because this addiction has been created. 
And so whether it's actually the, the physical act of adultery or adultery within our hearts, it is sweet for a moment, but the bitter lasts. The wormwood goes on and on. And if that isn't enough, he brings in another analogy here, sharp as a two-edged sword. So she starts out uh, sweet and ends up bitter. She starts out smooth and ends up sharp. See the picture he's painting here? This this double-edged sword is an efficient killing weapon. It can cut in multiple ways. You can cut forward or, or back. It is meant to kill. It is meant to sever. It is meant to pierce. It is meant to slice. And that is the nature of lust. It cuts right to the core. Flesh and spirit, bone and marrow, it exposes you. And you may recognize this simile from Hebrews 4. And I want you to turn there. I want you to see the difference. This analogy is used for lust and for this this forbidden woman. But it's also used for the word of God. And so I want you to see the contrast of the two here. This is Hebrews 4, uh, beginning in verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. There's other two-edged swords out there. There's other ones that will, that will pierce you and get to the heart of who you are, but this one is the sharpest. Piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart calling back to the discernment of, of Proverbs. You, know what, you want to know what will expose you? Your own selfish desires or the word of God. Both of them will show who, who you really are. One will leave you naked and exposed and dead. One will open up your heart to cut out what is dead inside. That you may cry out in repentance Because no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to who we must give an account. Here's this picture with the word of God. That it it leaves you naked and exposed. What does that mean? It, it, It reminds you when you read the word of God, I have to give an account to the almighty God one day. I have to stand before the Lord for my own thoughts, what I think no one else can see. The condition of of my own heart, the things that I hold on to. I can let the lust of the flesh pierce me and be cut open, flayed out with my temptation and die when my flesh rots in the sun. Or I can let the word of God perform perform surgery on me and cut what is evil and wicked out. All right, let's move on to our final section of the poem here. This is where the the end of all things is, and this is where we will see um, our end as well. So, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Here's the path of her walk. All throughout Proverbs, we've seen the walk, the the path. Where 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 you're heading is where you'll end up. And no one's feet goes where they don't want them to. She is putting one foot in front of the other. This woman of temptation, she's heading down, and down is never good in Scripture. Going up, that's where Scripture gives us the picture of up is where, up is where God is. The good things are up, the bad things are down. She's going down. She's going to death. Where you are walking, 
who you're associated with, which direction you're going, tells a lot about who you are. And her path is going straight to death. Now, death in the Old Testament is kind of like anti-life. It's not just the moment that we depart from this world. It's this, this kind of parallel realm that's in, in conflict with life and all that is life-giving. And so there's this, this kind of darkness that if you're not walking with the living God in the light, you are walking in death right now. And if you give in to sin and you give in to temptation, it is, it is death peeking into the realm of light. And so there's this idea that, that death is ever before you. Again, not the day of, of your death, but what leads to death. What is, what is dark and what is wicked and what is far from the Lord. And so this is easy. At this point, I want to just pause for a moment. This is easy to think, okay, this is an us and them conversation. This is out in the world, um, but we are here in the church. This is not just an out there conversation. We have to be honest that in each, inside of each one of us, apart from Christ, we are walking in death. Every one of our steps is going down to death. Our paths lead to wickedness. We are the walking dead. We are marching to hell. And it is not just the, 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 the sinful acts that we commit. Absolutely. But it's by our very nature. We are born under Adam, who has everything he could possibly want. And that strange woman, who you gave me, told me to eat from this tree. God, I will forsake eternal life to make this woman happy. He's our head. He is our representative. He is the man of death. Adam is batting a thousand. Everyone born in Adam will die. Everyone. This is why Jesus is born of a virgin. Because Adam's death DNA did not make it to him. He was born of the Holy Spirit so he could be a new Adam. And so if you know what it means to be in Christ, if you know what it means to go from death to life, if you know what it means to go from Adam to Christ, praise the Lord and never lose sight. Amen. Of the death that you were saved from, but also the death that peeks into our world of life. You may not be condemned eternally, but there are certainly consequences. When you give in to the darkness, when the death of this world has your ear, when the traps and snares of our own flesh lead us off the path of life, if we know how great our sin is, then we know how great our salvation is. And if we know how great our sin is, we know how easy it is for us to be tempted and led astray. I think too many Christians think that we can just put it on, on cruise control and kick our feet up until the Lord comes back. Praise God, even if you do that and you're a lazy, worthless servant, he's still gracious to you. But is that how we want to be found? Is that how we want to be, be found mature in Christ? But it's just easy. I'm going to give in to the world. I'm going to give in to these, these words of death. But it's not, just, it's not just something out there. It's not something passive. It's not something that's, that's just done to you. The second half is active. 
her steps follow to the path of Sheol. Um, this in the Hebrew is her steps grab onto Sheol. She's not going unwillingly to, to, to the Sheol. So Sheol is the land of the dead and darkness, and hell's not really developed that fully in the Old Testament. But the idea is still there. She is grabbing onto hell so that she can hold on to her own death. I love death so much, I will not let it out of my hands. That is what she's doing. And if you are not holding on to Christ, you are holding on to death. No one goes into hell kicking and screaming. They're holding on to death. Repentance is letting go of hell. Letting go of the consequences of our actions, of the result of our nature, repenting and grabbing on in faith to Christ and never letting go. But thankfully, we know we can't do that either. Thankfully, it is him who does not let go. Thankfully, it is him who holds us in his hand and no one may snatch us out. Because if we could be snatched out of his hand, we would snatch ourselves out. Now, I told you to consider the end of all of this. I want to go to uh, Revelation. We'll look at two passages in Revelation. One will be on the screen, one I added last minute. So turn there anyway. Um, Revelation 12. So when Proverbs tells us to consider the end, we know the end. We have the end. Our Savior, the one who, be, who came as the new Adam, the Word of God incarnate, wisdom incarnate, has a message for the church. Here's his message. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Starting in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. This is in the church age. This is right now. The kingdom of God has come. For the accuser of our brothers, the one who pulls the string of the forbidden woman, the enemy, Satan, the accuser, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, as if he could lead even the elect astray. And, or but here, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. That is the victory of the saint. Not the power of our own will. But they love not their own lives. We love Christ more than the very lung, breath in our lungs. Our life is by the blood of the lamb. He is the one who conquered. And in him... Verse 11, and they have conquered, uh, excuse me, yeah, uh, yeah, verse 11. And they have conquered him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell by them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. We live in the last days. The times are short. Our conquering, our identity is in Christ not in our physical appearance, not in our, our, our ability to be desirable to the opposite sex. It is in Christ. And here's what he will say at the end of the age. Go to chapter 22. Here's the message that he leaves us with. Other than surely I am coming soon, which is repeated several times. Verse 12, or um, sorry, I'm going to go to verse, or chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 5. It's a little more appropriate. Uh, 
Chapter 22 is good, too. Uh, and, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is in the new heavens and new earth creation, uh, conversation. Here's how he's making all things new. The new Adam begins by redeeming man, will one day redeem the whole earth. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water without payment. The world wants to appeal to this fleshly thirst that we have, but we will thirst again. If you drink from this living water, you will never thirst again, as he told us in John 8. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. That is what we have to look forward to. The world promises um, acceptance with them and, and, and to be brought in with them. The world says, come over with me. We have more toys. We have more fun over here. But our heavenly father says, you will be my son. I have given you my son. I will be your God forever. I will give you living water forever. These fleshly desires, they will pass. But, verse 8, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral. Notice here. Our culture likes to create a hierarchy of sins. Well, yeah, I may be sleeping with my girlfriend, but I'm not a murderer. You're right next to him in the same line. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers. You're a Harry Potter wizard. You're in the same category. Idolaters, all liars. Their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns in the sulfur, which is the second death. The scriptures speak of two deaths in Revelation. First one, we will all die unless the Lord comes first. Our bodies will die. That one's fine if you're in Christ. But second one, you don't want to die in that one. Because that's the one that doesn't end. That's the one that, is, that, is, that this forbidden woman is leading people to. The death that is apart from God forever. Where the fire does not go out. This is her path. I want to close here in verse 6. She does not ponder the path of life. She's on the path of death and she doesn't ponder it. She avoids thinking about the consequences. This theme of paths. She is not considering what will happen where she goes and those who follow her are not considering it either. Those who are consumed with indulging themselves in immediate gratification don't care where it leads. One foot in front of the other, this feels good, this feels good, bitterness, this feels good, that's foolishness. She doesn't even ponder it. She doesn't even think about where is this leading me. And those who follow her are not thinking about it either. This should be sobering. Do we ponder the way of life? Do we think about what it means to live in Christ, to walk as Christ, or are we just walking aimlessly like this woman? Are we walking on the path of life? Are our eyes fixed on him as we sung earlier? Do our ears listen to his voice? Are our sins covered by his blood? Are our prayers lifted up in his name? This is the path of life. We should ponder this. Consider Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, for the joy set before him went to the cross. Consider Jesus. Ponder him. Consider the path of life. Don't be like this woman. I use this analogy a lot. So how do we ponder? Pick your head up. 
Be a heads-up person. I like how a lot of you did that. Um, Be a heads-up person. The heads-up person says, you know what, before I get on this path, let me look down there and see where it leads. Before I get off on the exit, let me find, make sure I'm in the right city. But the simple person, the writer of Proverbs says, oh, simple ones, how long are you content with being simple? The simple person says, this feels good. This feels good. This feels good. Walking themselves right to death. But the wise person picks up their head and considers and ponders where their feet will lead them. So many of us, if we considered the end of our actions, we wouldn't start in the first place. Well, man, if I go after that woman, then, I'll have to, then I might get found out and divorced by my wife, and then my kids will be split, and then all, everyone will, will uh, rightfully challenge me for my sin, and I might have to move to a different city. And if, if we follow this all the way out, if David would follow out what would happen after he, he calls up Bathsheba, um, we wouldn't have a great biblical example to, to look at. Now, he would have saved himself a lot of heartache. Ponder. Keep your heads up. Don't love being simple. Because this woman, her ways wander. This in, in the Hebrew is like a, shapering, or like a shaking, staggering drunkenness. She wanders all about. She has no straight path here, there, and she doesn't even know it. This is the compass from last week. This compass has no north. It's just spinning back and forth. And she doesn't know and she doesn't care. And so many people are content with this. Ignorance is bliss. Happily walking in blindness. I pray this is not you. I pray that you are not content in walking in death. And I pray that if you know Christ and you have the light, that you would hate death. That you would hate temptation. That you would hate your own sin and cry out for deliverance. So as we get ready to approach the table, I want to leave you with two texts. This is a call for purity as we walk in these last days. I want you to look at Romans 13. I'm going to go here quickly. It'll be up on the screen if you can't get to Romans. Romans 13, verses 11 through, through 14. Here's our application and our exhortation to the church. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. I don't know when Jesus is coming. You know what I know for sure? When I wake up tomorrow, it's one day closer. And the day after that is one day closer. And that is how we should live. Today might be the day that Jesus returns. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone. That's the old man. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put, um, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's how you walk in life. Put it to death. Don't let the honey or the smoothness lead you astray. Um, last one. And if I don't want you to leave thinking, man, this is in my own strength, I don't know if I can do that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a very real temptation to many, and I don't want to belittle it. I know this is not easy. For most men in this room, myself included, this is the most difficult thing every day to deal with. But thankfully, our salvation is not based on our faithfulness. Thankfully, 
we have a faithful God who is mighty to save. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you are immune from the temptations of this world and the voice of death that, that hearkens you, beware. Take heed that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Here's the lie of the enemy. You're the only one who struggles with this. You're the only one who does this. Every other Christian has this figured out. That is a lie. That's why we need to be honest with each other and pray for each other and encourage one another and challenge one another. Because the same thing David said to his son and Solomon said to his son, men in here should say to their sons. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. I need to repeat that. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That is a good prayer. I'm going to speak to men right now. That is a good prayer. Lord, I'm, this is hard right now. Please provide a means of escape. Anyone ever prayed that prayer and get a text message, get a phone call? Yeah. This is a good thing. Our God is faithful. It is not up to you to be faithful. Do not try to do this in your own strength. Cry out to God in your weakness, and he will deliver you. So take a few moments to prepare your hearts and minds for us to approach the table. And uh, deacons, you can grab the elements.